When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. This is a podcast where we explore thoughts in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. A big shout out to my supporters on Patreon and the Anchor app. And there's a couple other uh, different supporters who have bought coffee mugs and stuff like that. You can find all that in the in the description. If you like this podcast, go ahead and support it. Yeah, that would be awesome. I could I could pay for some food and stuff. It would be f- fantastic. Um but uh, today we have another podcast in the life category. And so uh, I have a special guest with me, Jared Kassebaum, and we're going to be talking about uh, stand-up comedy. So Jared's a, a stand-up comic, and uh, which, which means all the pressure is on him to make everyone laugh, uh, which I would never do to myself, but for some reason he's chosen. So without further ado, hey, man, thanks, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. No, I'm, I'm psyched to be here. It's super fun. What what pressure are you building me up to? Well, dude, so this is something I wanted to ask you, but let's just jump in. Like, you are a stand-up comic, and so that's what you've chosen. That's what you want to do. That's that's your profession, uh, your your main profession, at least, that you aspire to, right? You want to yeah, do that full-time? Yeah. You're, you're not doing that full-time yet, are you? Well, before the pandemic hit, I was pretty close okay. to it being full time. I, I had a part time job um, that that uh, you know provided that last little bit. Then I would, but I was traveling a lot and taking a lot of time off and hitting the road a lot. So yeah. there were weeks where it felt full time, and then there were a lot of weeks where it didn't. Um, but then in the pandemic, it's just been so stale that yeah. um, at this point, just doing whatever I can. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, just for for everyone's business, but but stand up comics, like I could definitely see that. So. What I mean is like you go to a party or something and you're not doing a, a ton of that right now because of the pandemic, but you go somewhere you're like, oh, what, what, what do you do, Jared? And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm yeah. a stand-up, stand-up comic. Like, well, make me laugh, funny guy. Yeah, every time. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> every time. Uh, and it can be exhausting for sure because sometimes you're in the mood. I think if I'm like at a party or like something where my extroversion can really come out, I'll eat that up and I'll go for it. But there are definitely times where that can be really annoying where it's like, oh, I didn't expect that here like at church or something where it's like oh you're a comedian make me laugh and i'm like that's not why i'm here that's yeah. we're not we're not doing that right now <laughs> yeah totally well so uh i always wondered about if, if comedians have like different jokes for different situations so like if someone says make me laugh do you have one when you are feeling it that you're like all right this this kills with new audience like do you have one in mind that that you go with yeah, I mean, if people want to hear like a like a stage joke, like a joke I would actually do on stage, I definitely have a few one-liners that, okay. that fit that scenario that I can whip out that are definitely fun to do on stage. If I'm doing, I don't know, hopefully over the course of a party, I'd be funny at some point naturally. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, and I always wondered if there's like a snarky one where when you weren't feeling it, and you're like, all right, well, for instance, like if I were to, if I were to, if we're on stage, I would say how big your nose is or something like, and like just to to get them to go away. 
Well, I think sometimes it's fun. It is kind of fun to be a little snarky and throw it back and just uh, kind of mock them a little bit. Yeah. Be like, oh, make me laugh. Like, that's just not, it's just not a, it's not a good thing. I don't walk up to an accountant and be like, crunch some numbers for me. You know, you don't, <laughs> you don't do that. Good, so yeah. I think it's easy to just throw that back in their face. It's like, that's, yeah. we're all just having a good time at this party yeah. or whatever we're at. That's such a good point, though, too. Like, you you actually don't crunch some numbers for me, bro. Like, let's go. When I'm done yeah. here, let's see your stuff. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. No, for sure. Well, so, uh, man, how'd you get into comedy? Like, how'd you even get on this track where you wanted to be a stand-up comic? I mean, it's been a long road, obviously, right? So I'm in my mid-20s, and uh, I didn't really discover that as a passion by any means until I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to uh, Purdue in Indiana originally as a physics major. And wow. so that was actually going to be my career for a while. Like my whole high school, I thought I was going to like pursue a PhD in physics. My dad has a PhD in chemistry and I just like never considered anything other than the sciences yeah. um, until college. And a few things happened. Uh, the first one being I was surrounded by a lot of people smarter than me for honestly, especially in the, in the realm of physics in high school, like me and a couple of friends, we were like the physics guys. Yeah. And then you finally get to a big school and you're like, oh, there's like hundreds of people better than me. And that was actually kind of freeing. And then the second thing too, was I actually had a really close friend uh, pass my freshman year of college. And then that was the first kind of emotional thing that made me for the first time ever start to look elsewhere. And I was like, okay, what am I actually passionate about? And I realized like, man, like Colbert's my idol. And, you know, all all I wanted to do was was tell jokes and um, actually have like an emotional impact on people. And I Mm -hmm. felt like I, I looked around at all my physics professors and I was just like, man, I don't want that life. And so I, I just started look, looking around and started signing up for a couple open mics kind of on a whim uh, this summer between my freshman and sophomore years uh, of school and uh, started doing open mics and, and ate some ate some trash at first and then uh, went up from there and, and just kept going. And then, yeah, it's been it's been a fun road. Dude, that sounds so terrifying to me. So like uh, some some people think I'm decently funny at a party or whatever. And so I like that. And if I were to go up on an open mic, that would all be taken from me. I wouldn't be the funny guy anymore because it'd be just destroyed. What made you like what gave you the confidence or the courage or whatever to get up there and be like, I'm going to I'm going to try this out. I, I mean, I you, you've got to have an element of like you got nothing to lose. Right. Mm-hmm. I think if you go up there with something to prove, especially the first few times, you're going to bomb and it's going to hurt emotionally more than it should. Yeah. Uh, and for some people, that's enough that they'll never do it again. I think for me, the one laugh I got, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. So uh, you you get you get hooked on the few laughs you do get. But I think what to your point, I mean, that's so true. I, I heard a, a Sinbad quote that um, really has inspired me from the beginning where Sinbad, the, the comedian, he said one time he was like, everybody's funny in their living room. The right. secret is making the stage your living room. Yeah. And I think that 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 mentality has, uh, you know, been inspiring to me. And I think he's, you know, bar none, the, the best at that where he can he can take any situation and just riff uh, in a way that a friend could to a friend in a living room. But he can just do it so, so uh, fluidly. Um, so that, yeah, you just got to do it once and see anybody that I've ever talked to. That's like, oh, I'm kind of interested in that. I've always just been like, do it at least once hmm. and then figure out the when are you more terrified of the silence or are you more energized by like the one or two laughs you do get yeah and that's those are the two you got to figure out you know and you got to weigh it you got to say is it worth <laughs> is it worth powering through many more nights of silence 
for those few laughs. Yeah. And if the answer is yes, then then keep going. Yeah, man, that's good. That's that's like the the half full, half empty kind of perspective shift. And and which one which one are you valuing there? That's good, man. I like I like what you said too, quoting uh, Sinbad, like making the stage your your uh, living room. There's like it seems like there's different. We I wanted to get into uh, the kind of philosophy side of comedy, right? Um, you, sure. you you'd mentioned that earlier, but uh, off air. But there's like that where you're you're letting anyone in on your you're you're making the whole place comfortable. Hey, we can all kind of laugh at this. And it seems like there's other other ways where it's like, hey, we're gonna shred some people in the audience, and I'm gonna be yeah. like the smart one, and I'm gonna wreck everyone else. And that's kind of funny too. Uh, is there different are there different like categories of comedians that 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 you can have in your mind? That's like this guy's kind of a jerk. That's what he does. This one makes fun of himself, self-deprecating. Are there different categories that people fall into, or is it like a mixed bag? No, for sure. There's definitely categories. I mean, they're all they're all overlap at times, but I think okay. at least in LA and Chicago, which are the two scenes, and Indianapolis a little bit, but Indianapolis is small enough that everybody's kind of in one scene. But in Chicago and LA, which are the two scenes I've been in, it's big enough that you that there is kind of like a mainstream and an alt at the same time. And okay. so um I think in LA you have like the comedy store kind of is that main mainstream vibe where it is kind of that like I don't care about what people think and I'm going to, I'm going to go out of my way for the next 20 minutes to prove that I don't care what people think. Yeah. And that is kind of their whole MO. And I think some of those guys are hilarious. It's definitely not my style, but some of those guys are hilarious. I, mean, I think Bill Burr is kind of the most sure, I was thinking famous Bill Burr, in, that, sure. in that camp. And I think he's hilarious. And like his irreverence is, is incredibly fun to watch. That's yeah. definitely not how my mind goes when I'm on stage, but it's a, it's a fun vibe for sure. And then I would say alt is more the people that are trying to be clever. I guess that's where I more fall in is like, I would rather be known for a good punchline than for like poning a heckler or something. Yeah. Although poning a heckler can be fun too. Yeah. Every now and then you get those where you just got to go, okay, I got to shut this guy down and, and that it can be a fun time. And then some people have made their whole brand. Like there's a few comics that just like post heckler videos on YouTube yeah. and that's pretty much how they've blown up, you know? So yeah. Uh, there, there's different philosophies behind it for sure. I definitely am more, I don't know if you know, like Pete Holmes, John Mulaney. Yeah. Um, I think Gary Goldman, he's gotten a lot bigger in the last few years, but he, those are people that I look up to a lot in the realm of like, okay, yeah, I want an interesting premise and I might be motivated by some frustration like the other guys, but at the end of the day, I really want to make sure I have like a good punchline. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that that that's helped me a lot. Yeah, that the the categorization. There's like, I think all of it's creative, right? But there's like, it reminds me of um, uh, what like community where it's like just raw. This isn't stand up, whatever, but just raw, like pure, unadulterated creativity. Just mm-hmm. that's what it is. And then there's other ones. I don't like the office would be like shredding people where it's like, look at how dumb Dwight is. Look at how stupid this is. Like really funny. Um, yeah, and there's. That's how I'm thinking through at least. Uh, what What do you think about? Um, well, I don't know, man. Are you cool if I ask you about some comedians and and just kind of get? Oh yeah, yeah sure. Okay, yeah. Unless I, I know him personally, I'll 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 tell you what I think. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so like, um, I like I like Joe Rogan. I like listening to his podcast. Uh, I think he's pretty funny on there sometimes and stuff. I don't really like his stand up. Um, what? Totally how agree. Do, how do you How do you characterize like, his stand up? What What does he do? I mean, I would put him closer to the Bill Burr side of the spectrum, okay. I would say. 
Um, but I, you know, I haven't watched all of his stand up, and I think his podcast, I, I, I think he can be funny for sure. I haven't listened to all of his podcasts, but I definitely feel like um, I even on some level feel like his categoriz- categorization as a comedian doesn't necessarily hold a lot of water. Yes, he's done stand up for sure, but yeah. I mean, that's not. I don't know because I even think it's it's become almost a funny trope in my life. People will be like, "Oh, you're a comedian. I love Joe Rogan." Yes. And I'm like, "Okay, we're not really on the same page there then, because you love him for his podcast, which is an all right thing, but that's not really. I wouldn't I wouldn't yeah. even really put his podcast in the realm of comedy, you right? Know? Or, or his his commentating on the UFC, and even then, for sure, he's not making a lot of jokes. He's a really good commentator, and so you listen to his what his take. Yeah, and and that's kind of funny. He's kind of become more famous in those other areas, or or the old school TV show. Um, and then those have kind of enveloped around his stand up comedy, and he's got this fan base who's going to listen to him no matter what. Except for, sure, for me, for I sure. actually, I I'd really just I've tried to like it. I've really wanted to like his stand up. I just it doesn't it doesn't do it for me. But and I think if you can have a career and you you can, I mean, there's no artistic career that's right. Right. Oh, and I think yeah. that's easy. I think there are definitely some comedian purists that because he's a big podcaster now don't like him because he doesn't just do stand up or sure, something like that. Sure. Right. And I think that's stupid. Right. Yeah. We're all any artist or any person trying to make a living writing or or performing. There's no right way to do it. You got to figure out your own way. And if Rogan figured out that that's what he's better at, then great. Uh, so, yeah. But but yeah. as far as his stand up goes. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. So, so like Dave Chappelle, um, seems like he used to be the, the more creative side we're talking about. And now he's kind of, well, at least in his last, his last special, I think was like, uh, more on the Bill Burr side, uh, and, and did probably Bill Burr better than Bill Burr does Bill Burr. Uh, what do you make of, of Chappelle? Yeah, I've watched most of his Netflix specials. Uh, I think there might've been one that I missed, but I, I, I love Chappelle. I think, he does it well where I, I feel like he often um, he does the the like the funny premise and the provocative premise. Right. Yeah. That, to me, that is the biggest difference is like I feel like Bill Burr or Louis back when he was more in the limelight. It, it was always like, what's the most provocative premise I can come up with? <laughs> yeah. And and see how far I can run this into the ground before the crowd, before I lose the crowd is kind yeah. of what sometimes it feels like. And I think Chappelle still finds a pretty provocative premise nine yeah. times out of ten. But he also has punchlines. And I think Bill Burr does have punchlines sometimes too. But you can tell that Chappelle, for the most part, has also like tried really hard to figure out, you know, what's a clever way to end it. Mm. And that to me is what sets him apart as one of the like greater comedians in that realm. Because not only is it provocative pun- uh, premise, it also is like a really clever punchline. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of comedians do one or the other. Uh, and there's a lot of comedians that go the premise route that just like come up with like, how can I shock the crowd? Maybe be a little clever, but then they just kind of let the joke die without like giving it a, a button as is yeah. often the term yeah. or like a tag. And if you can, to me, a tag, that's like, that's good writing. Uh, and that's more where I would want to aspire to be like, ah, like that, that felt like it concluded and it felt like you fulfilled the joke. And I think Chappelle does that really, really well. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, for the most part. Yeah. So when, when I, when I think of like tags and buttons, it, uh, I think of like Mitch Hedberg, you're, you're familiar with. Oh yeah. I love Mitch. He, he seems like he was all tagline, all button, right? Like yeah, the same thing. It. Yeah. He's, he was really funny. D- Dimitri Martin might be like that. He was so weird. 
but he would say some really funny stuff. Is he still around? Do you still listen to him? At yeah, all? Martin's around. I don't think he put out anything in a, in a minute, but um, I've I actually one time like saw him at a at a bar in in LA uh, the year before everything shut down. So I know wow. he's still doing stuff. He okay. he shows up with a notebook. He he's I've never seen a professional comedian be so upfront about the fact he's trying out new jokes because he yeah. just walked up with this like big three ring binder and like opened it up and was in just like essentially read punchline <laughs> and then like would listen for the laughter, make a little note and then move on to the next one. Dang. Uh, so, but, but, but everybody was just psyched he was there. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so good. So, so dude, like, uh, when I get into something, I definitely have very, very hipstery tendencies. Like, I mean, I have a handlebar mustache or whatever, but, um, when I get into something, I'm like, I want to know everything about it. And then I get kind of uh, jaded about like the popular people. Cause you see behind the scenes, you see how they treat people or you see like, Oh, this dude's actually much better. So like you get into folk music and you're like Mumford and Sons is awesome. Uh, but then you're like, but there's all these little bands that you guys don't even know about who are way better. Uh, I wouldn't say that about Mumford cause I love Mumford, but, but you could say something like that. Uh, has that been your experience as you get into comedy or are the big guys still the, the funniest? I think there are definitely like those entry points, like you kind of say with music for sure, where it's like a lot of people, I think, um, get into John Mulaney and then they, they follow that into like the weirder versions of him. Right. And I think that there's definitely that out there. Uh, I think I obviously have a unique perspective just being in the, in LA, I can see three shows pre pandemic. I could see three shows with big names, you know, all the time. And so I would definitely say that um, that's helped because not everybody has a special. And I think there are people out there that are incredibly funny that just don't have the, the, the medium to present that yet. And so that's hard too. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there's definitely entry points. And I think that like, there's definitely like, Oh, if you like John Mulaney, you should check out Gary Goldman. Like I would definitely say that like, that's kind of the next step okay. in that line. Um, and then there's definitely people weirder than that, but then it, it gets more and more niche and, and a smaller and smaller audience. And then living in the age of the internet, that can be beautiful, but also terrifying. Um, yeah. To yeah. Have so many options. Yeah. Uh, well, shoot, there's so many questions I want to ask. Okay. So Chicago, um, we have like is second city here. Is that, that's mm-hmm. Chicago. Yeah. yeah. But is that's um like improv and stuff, right? Yeah. So so help me out. Like, why would you go to LA for comedy? And is Chicago is there a good stand up comedy scene in Chicago or is it is it like an improv scene? Like can can you help me navigate through that? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I do improv too. Okay. Um and uh I, I've done a lot in LA. I didn't really do much before moving out to LA and at first for me that started out as just like a separate skill I wanted to get better at. Um, but then before the pandemic, I was performing improv also probably two or three times a week along okay. with two or three stand-up shows a week before the pandemic hit. But uh, yeah, it's so in Chicago, you've got Second City uh, and you've got IO. Uh, mm-hmm. And some of these are starting to close, which is really tough because of the pandemic. So like in LA, the biggest improv theater is called UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade, which was founded by Amy Poehler and a couple of her friends oh, wow. that are less famous than her, but are also like in TV uh, back back in the day. But like they used to have two locations in L.A. And as of the week before Christmas, one of those just shut down because they 
nothing's happening there. They can't they can't support it anymore. Um, but they still have one of their theaters, both of their locations in New York just shut down. So that whole wow. landscape is being completely changed because of the pandemic. There are so many small improv theaters around L.A. and Chicago that are barely making it, if not not making it at all. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one in L.A. that I used to perform at and it's just so fun. It's called the Improv Space. And it was just a fun little independent theater, barely, uh, you know, surviving. And it's a fun. But yeah, in, at least in L.A. and it feels like Chicago, too. The stand up and improv scenes are a little bit separated. Okay. There are definitely some people that do both. And that was one thing I had tried really hard to be in L.A. was somebody who could do both. Um, and they generally have different vibes. I think in the stand-up world in Chicago and in LA, from what I've experienced, was significantly more uh, the like people who don't like life and want to kind of make that fun. Yeah. And then improv is more the people who see everything through this really goofy light and just want to be on stage because it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think that, that those are more of the vibes. And I think I definitely fit the improv. Like that's definitely more how I want to look at the world is mm-hmm. through that like let's just all have a goofy fun time together and let's do it on stage. And if I can get like three people that are really funny at the same time, that sounds like a blast. Yeah. And that's more the improv vibe. I would say they're definitely the, the, the punk rock mentality within the improv world for sure. Um, and I've been to multiple punk rock concerts in LA and seen improv friends on accident. So oh, that's, nice. that's, that's happened for sure. I think within stand-up, though, it's definitely more the people that are like, I, I hate my hometown, <laughs> and I'm moving to L.A. or Chicago to get away from that, and I'm doing stand-up. Uh, not to just throw them all under the bus, but <laughs> I've met a lot of people that give me that vibe. Uh, in Chicago, yeah, you have you have Second City and I.O., which is the big one uh, that's like more kind of like the granddad of, of, of improv. Um, but I also I can't remember right now. I remember there being some news with them with the pandemic um you you move to la or new york though if you want to get into tv i mean that's pretty much what it is chicago is a slightly smaller scene and uh it's it's got just as much stand-up on some level but you just don't have those last little connections so at least when i moved to la it was with the mindset of like i'm not by any means the top of the chicago scene not even close not even the top of Indiana, but I was young enough that I was like, I love to put down roots. I love to invest in community. I might as well do that in the place where I want to end up. Um, and that, and that was just kind of my thinking, um, in, in LA. Yeah. I mean, I've met, there's way more casting directors and agents, you know, floating around the city than in Chicago. And you might get discovered in a lot of, you know, SNL people have come out of Chicago in the last couple of decades or, Hannibal Burris is from Chicago, moved to LA, moved back to Chicago. Like that was kind of famous when he moved back to Chicago. So it, it's got a big scene for sure. Yeah. Um, it just depends on what you want out of it. Yeah. Well, so uh, like long-term for you, man, like, are you, are you wanting to go on TV? Are you, are you happy if you have like a successful stand-up career or either one, or is, is one kind of like the end goal? No, I mean, stand-up I think is the most joyful thing in and of itself. Okay. Like that's it, when I'm on stage, you just feel more alive than, than like, and you can just, you ride the energy of the crowd, like all of that. It's like a good stand up show um, is just the most fun way to spend an evening. Yeah. Uh, I think that, but from like a, a long term perspective, it's really tough to be a full time comedian unless you're always on the road, unless you go into TV. And so I think that that's always kind of the, the super long term goal where it's like, I loved the road 
life. I wasn't like on the road constantly, but on the road every now and then uh, before the pandemic, I loved that version of life. But also if I have a family and kids someday, I don't want to be all doing that all the time. Right. And so in LA, it feels like there's so many comedians that I respect that are, that are beyond me in, in career, but they maybe only hit the road two or three months out of the year because they're writing for a TV show the other nine months or something like that. And so it gives you the ability to like call LA home in a legitimate way yeah. and hopefully raise a family or hopefully, you know, invest in other parts of the community in a way that actually has like roots rather than um, like there are full-time comedians that live in Indiana and I, and I know them, but they're pre-pandemic. They were pretty much constantly on the road okay. because you, you have to be driving all around the Midwest or the South or whatever, going to all these comedy clubs making enough to get to the next town and still pay your rent back home in Indiana or whatever. And that exists. But at the end of the day, unless you're in a very rare case, you're not going to be able to really move beyond that unless you move. Yeah, that makes sense. So dude, one, one thing I'm thinking about when it comes, so if if you were to become a writer on a show, that, that would make sense. But man, there's, there's, I see like these, com- these comedians who I think are hilarious. And then you see them, they end up acting in a show and you're like, mm, you're not that funny anymore because you're kind of pigeonholed or you have to appeal to a broader audience. And I feel like the broader audience thing just kills creativity. And like, as a, as a good millennial myself, I'm like, well, let's be authentic. And I see, I see in my, some of my friends who write copy and it's like, bro, you're so creative. You're so funny. And the stuff you write is trash. And he's like, well, yeah, but I got to write for the, for the moms, the, the, the middle-aged moms. Like I have to make them laugh too. It's not just you yeah. with your handlebar mustache. Uh, you, what are you, what are your thoughts on like um, you need money, you need a job, but you also want to be true to yourself kind of thing. Um, have you, have you considered like, is it, is it selling out when you go onto a show and you go into a commercial? What are your thoughts on that? Cause I know you thought about that before. For sure. I mean, I don't think it's selling out. I think it's, people are going to pay you for the slice of your creativity that you're giving them. Mm-hmm. And, um, right. Or like I have a commercial agent and that's really frustrating to audition sometimes when that kind of millennial vibe or like Enneagram four in me or whatever, yeah. however you want to put it comes out where I'm like, Oh, like I was told by my commercial agent, if you don't have like a headshot wearing a flannel, you're probably not going to get a job where the casting director wants you to wear a flannel. Right. It's like that specific and stupid, honestly. (laughs) Wow. But at the same time, there's, you know, 200 submissions. So they're not going to like, they're not going to imagine you in a flannel. So it's like, you've got to, you've got to give them what they want. And I think with writing or copy, it's a similar thing where you, they're, you're only being paid not for your totality, as sad as that is, you're being paid for the element of creativity that you can deliver that fits their market segment, you know, even to use that kind of marketing language. And I think uh, if you have the ability to be a comedian with your audience and they love you for you and you can go all in on that and things like Patreon and Twitch are allowing that more and more, Mm -hmm. uh, go for it. And I honestly, that would be, I guess, the highest goal to be fully fan supported in that sense. But that's also so tough. Um, and there are people that are making that happen, but that to me, uh, that that's a different level of, of kind of artist patronage that is incredibly tough to reach. Um, but also writing for a TV show gives you more reach or writing copy at an ad agency or whatnot. You do get a different element and a different reach out of it. So, um, 
Yeah, it's it, I go back and forth because even even in in my pandemic life, I've gone back and forth of like, should I just use my savings and create as much internet content as I can to mm-hmm. pursue that version, or do I need to start looking for another job? And I've gone back and forth on that, you know, every, every other month practically throughout the whole pandemic is like, no, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make a lot of content, and then the next month I'm like, crap, I need a job, and then I you know so I go back and forth, and then it's like what is selling out? I don't know. I think as long as you're still doing your, your thing and your Gary Goldman talks about this a lot and I've heard it elsewhere too, but this idea of like, you really just need like, you know, a few thousand fans that really like you. Mm -hmm. And if you can get a few thousand fans that like truly love you, then you're, you're, you can make a living off of that depending on, depending on where you live, I guess. And so it's like pursuing that would kind of be the ideal but I don't know. Me and me and Ray and Chewbacca, we we just sometimes chill in my room and, and sulk about the fact that I can't perform anymore. So yeah. you know, yeah. goes back and forth. Yeah, I hear you, man. So it does does it? Uh, okay. Does it? Do you ever have to reach that broader audience, like during during your stand up when you go out and you're like, I do you ever have this thought? I want to say this joke i don't think it'll work as well but i think it's hilarious a couple of my friends think it's hilarious this other joke i don't think says funny but i know it'll get a, a response and so you say that that broader joke do you ever do that oh totally yeah i mean you got to read the room i think yeah and like there are some i would i'd be considered fairly alt right okay. i do one-liners i do uh, i do impressions but like not real impressions they're like joke impressions but they yeah. they work just enough right that type of stuff and so I'd be considered pretty alt. There are some rooms in LA though that I'm too mainstream because they're so, so alt. And those are usually more like theater people or like improv people doing characters. And I've had to like go into those spaces and I'm like, oh, they're not even going to like my weird stuff because they're weirder than my weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. So then you have to even somehow figure out how to, how to get even more weird. Or when you leave LA, when I've done shows in Texas or New Mexico, um, or Arizona or, you know, all around, you realize like, oh, unless you have a very lucky audience and like figure out who the organizer is and you really know that like you're going to hit your, your audience, if you're doing like a club in Texas, those are people that my weird stuff, I have to like build to. Mm. I can't just like come out the gate with that, right? And so I have to somehow lay my first five minutes down as like hey i'm just like you but also a little weird Mm -hmm. but then by 10 minutes in i'm like guys the secret's out i actually love being really weird right and you have to kind of like you it's a journey you get to take with them but if you come out the gate way too weird they're not gonna like it even though in some rooms in la if you come out the gate too normal they're not gonna like you yeah so you do have to just judge it by audience and there are definitely times where i've been like this isn't working gotta just scrap the weird stuff and go fall back on some of my like more like stories. Cause I have, I have some, you know, two to four minute stories that I tell that are funny, that are definitely more like what, a what, a what a mom and dad in the Midwest are going to want hmm. versus like, I don't know my, my impression of a scared hot dog or whatever, you know? So do you, do you have that on hand? Yeah. Hand that's impression? my favorite joke. Honestly, my, I just say, this is my impression of a really scared hot dog. And I just go, a contest? <laughs> and so it's just a hot dog scared of a hot dog eating contest. That's yeah. the whole joke. And it's one of my uh, favorite jokes. But it doesn't work unless you kind of, again, kind of build to that weirdness. Yeah. But even in some places, that's too weird still. Right. Okay. 
I got really lucky. I did a show right before the pandemic hit in January last year in Amarillo, Texas. And honestly didn't even know Amarillo existed until I did this show. But it I was I was expecting like a very classic Texan crowd. Yeah. The room I was in was a young person you could tell it was like the punk room of the city and i didn't know that going in but i was psyched because i just i don't know my best show of my life and in doing like that joke or other jokes in that vein were just you know crushing so it was just you just have a good time maybe you got there's definitely an element where sometimes you stick to your guns because you're like yeah i want to maintain who i think i am in the midst of of dallas or in the midst of indiana but at the same time uh, if I can, I'd rather get two people to like the true me than, than not be me, but you do kind of have to just compromise and, and you, you give and take. Yeah, dude, I, I catch that because of the podcast. Um, I have such weird interests and I'm like really in on the ones that I like and people, people have told me like, Hey, if you want a, a bigger audience, you need to, to go more general. You need your voice is kind of high. You need to talk more like this and you need to be an announcer. And I'm like, that would destroy me inside though. I would hate it. Yeah, I wouldn't want to totally. do it. So for me, I'm like, I'm putting this out. And if anyone likes it, come on, let's go. You're in for the full thing then. Because I don't know, man, I'm, I'm like a younger millennial, right? My, my, uh, I have some friends who are older millennials who give me advice and they're like, we're going to talk like this. Welcome back to the show. And for me, I'm like, that, that's been done a billion times. I'm going to throw up if you make me do that. Well, and it's been done a billion times. And so to the older generation, usually that provides comfort Yeah. because they've heard it a billion times. That's what they yeah. want yeah. versus you and me. We don't want that. But what you're doing and what hopefully I'm doing and a lot of you know people our age, we're playing hopefully the long game, yeah. right? Where you put this out consistently and you know each episode you get one more person listening. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you're going to love yourself more and have a big audience, yeah. even if in the short term you don't have a big audience. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something everybody's got to struggle with. And then, of course, if you're relying on your art or, or this or whatever to be your uh, financial right. situation, then then you can't do that. Yeah. And, and then you've got to do the welcome back. It's so good to have you here. Yeah. You know, you've got to do that. Uh, but if you're doing it, yeah, I mean, there's just, yeah, dude, that's you can pay your bills and then pay your bills and, and, and do you. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's, that's another part of it too. There's like the practical side of it where, yeah, you, you got me, I need money. That, that That's something I, I wanted to follow back up on uh, in your head. So I'm sure it changes and stuff like that, but uh, in a room, you said you'd, you'd rather have like two people laughing at the real you, but, but also are you more interested in telling the joke that you thought was creative and good or getting a laugh? I, I know it's, it, it, can you say whether you're, you're aimed at one or the other? I think, I think there is a, there's an in-between or a balance route that I'm more aimed at getting feedback. Okay. So obviously I want a laugh. And during the pandemic, you know, I've been doing a lot of online shows or Zoom shows. And, and sometimes that can really suck because sometimes what I feel like is I'm just, it's almost feels more like a writer's room where I'm just like, hey guys, what do you, what do you think about this one? And it's not fun because there is no laugh because you can't really, because like yeah, the way, right. you know, Zoom or whatever does their sound mixing just kind of sucks. Yeah. And so there, there's an in-between there. I, I like to tell what I like to tell, but mm-hmm. if nobody's laughing, that's not fun to tell. So it's, it's both. Okay. You know, but it is nice once you find that one person in the crowd that you can tell loves it, 
Mm. Just start looking at them the whole time. And then the rest of the show's fun, no matter what. Like yeah. I've had shows like that for sure. Where um, one time I did a show in Paris, Texas. And it, and it, and it felt like that where I had like, it was a room of maybe 60, 70 people. And I had two people just loving it. And the rest were not getting it. Yeah. And it was a blast because I ended that talked to those two people who came up to me, sold them both a shirt from my merch. And I was like, this is better than, than if 70 people, you know, thought I was average in my opinion. So. And those two people will look for you, right? They'll, they'll, they'll try and find you again. They'll try and get some more laughs out of you. They'll be the ones who seek out my Instagram or, you know, or, you know, in the best of scenarios, seek out my Patreon or something, you know? And so I, yeah, the fact I've had a, I literally maybe have four people that give to my Patreon that I just met through shows. And those are the most impactful, you know, supporters because I literally don't know them. Maybe I met them once after a show and they said, not only am I glad I sat there for 20 minutes that night, you know, I want to give you three bucks a month or whatever. That's just mind blowing to think that that could happen. And you only get that if you're true to yourself, Mm. you know, not to be too, you know, Disney about it, but if, but if you, But if you are doing what you want to do, if you're being generic, people can see that. And you might, I don't know. Yeah, it depends. And you can tell when people are starting out if what they think is expected. And and you've got every every comedian, have I don't know if you noticed this, almost every comedian on their first or second album has a bit about how men and women are different. Right? I mean, you could uh. go to any comedian and and there's at least five to ten minutes of like men do this, but women do this, or the very close relative of that, in my opinion, which is I hate dogs or I hate cats. And then five minutes on why they hate dogs or cats. And almost every comedian has like five to 10 minutes on that because you, you realize like, Oh, that's what is universal. But then hopefully by their third or fourth album, they're a little bit more who they are, or they can do those things in a unique way for sure. Like I think Pete Holmes, who's my, I would say my, my favorite, favorite comedian, his, I hate, dog's joke on his second album i think it's phenomenal but at the same but but now that i listen i go back and i listen to it and i'm like yeah you can tell he's kind of doing that because you kind of need to do that when you're on the road until you have like the you audience yeah and so many comedians that are even professional that are you know a couple levels above me they're doing clubs where they're not a name the club just has a reputation enough within the town that people will come see whatever comedians at the club yeah the club has to maintain their identity as a good club for whatever medium-sized city they're in and the comedian doesn't necessarily get to be them they have to be the club's representative on some oh, level. yeah so there's just so many different layers where it's like you've got to give them what they want and what you want and and it's a i think that's where some of the craft comes in is to figure out how to make you accessible while still being you yeah man that makes a lot of sense oh, man i cannot the the thing about comedians, uh, I don't know a ton. I mean, I know you and a couple others, but it's so sad to me to think that you guys would have to give up any part of you. Like, I have to go and do this now. I have to be like this. Because it's like, man, you work so hard and you put yourself out there and you have to kind of fit a cookie cutter mold for a night or or for this time or whatever. Or, or writers. I can only imagine people on shows who are like, this guy keeps dropping all my best lines. I work so hard for this. And it's not, I mean, it's about the money you want to eat food, but it's like, this is who I am. I'm the funny guy and my stuff's really good. And these idiots just want to, they want a laugh track. 
it, it like totally. it hurts me to think through that because I'm like I can I can imagine what that would be like. Yeah. No. I mean. Yeah, but if they're gonna pay me to write jokes, I'm gonna take it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm at. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah, I mean, it's better than being a briefed or whatever, right? I mean, yeah. I being a briefed too at times, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. So well, every now and then I catch I catch one of your uh, Facebook updates and you're like, yeah, I met this dude or I served this dude or whatever. What are you What are you doing right now? Uh, well, I, I was working at a coffee shop part time before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that coffee shop furloughed the whole staff Dang. and then uh, brought brought only half the staff back. And then I wasn't part of that um, based on just like who was working the most hours, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then I went on employment for a little bit. Then I've been. Um, I work at a different coffee shop since uh, okay. September. So, is that uh, yeah, but that one's in people? like a pretty rich neighborhood, which is why I've been like, okay. Okay. man, I just served Michael Keaton and yeah. he was chill. Michael Keaton the week before Christmas dropped a 20 in the tip jar and he just leaned over the counter and he was like, Merry Christmas guys. And it was, it was, it was crazy. It was yeah. so fun, you yeah. know, and, it, and especially with masks on when I can see a famous person, I'm definitely like, Whoa. I'm like almost proud of myself too. Cause I'm like, I knew that was Michael Keaton from his eyes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. He'd be a famous one with those famous eyes from Batman and stuff. But yeah. Yeah. I know he's got some good eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are times and then, but also, you know, as with any, hopefully fine dining experience, we, we're not really allowed to, you know, acknowledge their fame. Yeah. yeah. You so. got to slip them your, your, uh, your plaid headshot in, into his pocket or into it. Yeah. That's the goal. That's the goal. I mean, some of the more fun kind of LA famous person interactions I've had have been not at work too. Or like one time I was in line for an ice cream shop and I met James Gunn um, and he was literally next to me in line. And I, he was like the director of Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And most people don't know what he looks like, which is nice for him, but I, I did. And I was just psyched that he was there and we talked for a little bit. And that was like one of the most fun interactions I've had with a celebrity just because he was super chill and, nobody else could even tell he was famous except for me, which was kind uh, of yeah. fun to feel like I was like, Hey, I know who you are. Um, <laughs> and then I made a video about, it. I don't know if you saw, I made a video yeah, about yeah, that yeah. back in uh, July and mm-hmm. he shared it on his Instagram oh, wow, story you know. on his story on Instagram. And that was just the coolest thing for him to kind of like acknowledge like, Hey, I remember that too. But that's yeah. awesome. I remember that video. Yeah. I didn't know he shared. That's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, dude, I wanted to get into like the, the struggles of, of clean comedy. Uh, do you call it, are you, would you consider yourself a, a clean comedian? Yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't market myself that way. Cause sure. I feel like that place was a box that, um, it can be super helpful. And I know clean comedians that do market themselves that way that I super I just doxed you then. Did I just like ruin your career just now by saying, no, that? No, you, yeah, I'm done. This is it. It's my <laughs> right. last interview. Yeah. No, I think there's, um, I'm clean just because that is usually where my mind goes. I rarely think of a non-clean joke to begin with. It's not, I'm not really censoring myself. Um, but also do, you know, want to maintain cleanliness for, you know, for the ability to, to have that kind of slightly broader appeal or like, I wouldn't really want to perform in a church, but I feel like I could. (laughs) Um, and I've got Christian comedian friends who are like Christian comedians and that, and that is their thing. And yeah. a couple of them I think are hilarious, you know, and they do it great. I mean, and, uh, I'm clean more just cause that's who I am as a person. Uh, so I don't really think it's that much harder. I think every now and then, and I've made jokes about this before too, but every now and then people will be like, Oh, is it, is it hard to be, you know, a comedian in this like political correct 
culture. Mm. And I always am just like, I, I don't feel like it, people who ask me that I'm always like, I don't feel like, you know, me that well, because what did you think I was going to try to say? Yeah. Like what, what aspect of political correctness do you think is weighing me down? Because I've never once been like, can't do that because it's politically incorrect. I, that, I don't know. That always just cracks me. I'm like, what did you think I was trying to say yeah. that I can't say now? Yeah. Um, Cause I think, you know, and maybe I'm in a unique place within that discussion where I think a lot of the comedian cancel culture, first of all, it's not true cancel culture because most of those comedians are still performing and making a living. Yeah. So they've just fallen back on their 10,000 fans. They just no longer have the hundred thousand fans and that's, that's the difference, but they're still full time. Um, I don't know if, if I'm, I don't know how to say it, but it's like, if, if, uh, if I feel too scared to make a joke degrading women, uh, I think that's a win, not mm. a, not a, not a cancel in my opinion. Like if yeah. that's how the culture is going and, and people no longer feel like they can, you know, make, um, jokes at the expense of gay people, that's purely just a joke about somebody being gay. I, to me, I'm not against that, uh, thing. Cause it's just at that point, if anything, it's just capitalism at play of people saying, I don't want to support you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I thought about that too. When I saw, when I saw like Bill Burr, uh, his special after, um, Chappelle's big one, it was like, Oh man, this cancel culture thing is great for you. Like this is the best thing to ever happen to your comedian, to your, uh, your comedy. And it was like, you can kind of see behind the screen. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's not authentic or anything like that, but it's like th- that work that plays into his style of comedy perfectly like that was that was great for him whereas you're you're the uh i forgot how you how you said it but i in my head you're like the constructive i, I i'm just thinking like there's constructive and deacon and destructive destructive yeah yeah destructive yeah, comedy. Yeah. where that, that one's just dumping on people and I, I think that's funny that's probably more who i am i'd probably have to censor myself because i'm just kind of a jerk naturally like my my wife is the only one who knows my true humor uh and, and it's terrible but uh i'm still in process here but when I've got those moments for sure. And yeah. like there are times where if you're with the right people or like there are times where I do shows alongside comedians where I do have that kind of relationship mm-hmm. and it's fun to go up after them and, and you can kind of rip on them. And yeah. I feel totally comfortable doing that. That's cool. um, that's yeah. I'm, I'm definitely into that at times for sure, but I definitely agree. Yeah. I, the term that I try to like center a lot of it around is like the idea of being earnest. Mm. Um, and so it's like, I think tearing down or destructing can be super beneficial to society, For sure. but uh, uh, not without also hopefully providing some some morsel of hope. Uh, not optimism, but but like constructive hope. Yeah. Um, so I think that's to me that's the big difference. I, I I do I love the idea of like earnestness and cynicism. That's something I've written about a lot and journaled about a lot, just because to me that's a big thing where any art that feels cynical turns me off. And so I would say, you know, there are some comedians that are cynical, but then you have people like Chappelle, he doesn't feel cynical, even though he is often destructive because he is still seeming to hope for a better society, even great. as he's critiquing. Yeah. And I think that that you can just tell that vibe is totally different. Uh, and like, there's some comedians though that, yeah, that like Bill Burr, like Bill Burr interviews are my favorite part of Bill Burr. Yeah. Because He's yeah. just incredibly irreverent. And I'm just like, man, he looks like he feels invincible. Mm-hmm. And he's just ripping on the interviewer. 
yeah, this or the chair going out of their way. Yeah, yeah. the chair thing. Oh my gosh, so the chair thing is Love such a good. Yeah. That's a great interview. Um, and that irreverence is fun. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I saw that, just being like, "Man, he looks like he just feels invincible." Mm-hmm. But also, I don't know if I want my invincibility to come out of apathy, which often it does feel like that for Bill. Yeah. And um, I've never met him or anything. And I, I, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, no, no shade to Bill Burr by any means, but it, it, if, if your invincibility comes from apathy, I just hope that personally I would want to strive for a high, higher ideal than apathy yeah. or what, what fuels me. And that's, that's so cool to, to hear you talk about the, the hope aspect and stuff, because man, maybe you're more plugged into this than me, but I don't, I don't feel like we have poets today. Right. So sorry for anyone who's a poet out there. I let me know, send me your stuff, come on my podcast. That'd be great. But the comedians have taken over a large, uh, a larger role than, than they used to have. I would say they're, they're the more, they're the poets. They, uh, they comment on religion and people. Listen the to them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally and, agree. No, I agree. And, and all these different functions have fallen into that. And, and maybe that's, maybe that's a bad part of our culture. Maybe we're, we're, we're not willing to like read a, a article anymore, but when, when I hear, um, so I work with, with campus ministry and when people talk about uh, challenges to their faith, it's coming a lot of times from the comedians because it's short and quick. They're really good with their presentation and yeah. they're really they're, they're rhetoricians at the end yes. of the day in, yeah. in a lot of that for sure. Yeah. And so it seems like comedians have just taken on this, this, a, a more uh, important role in our society. And so it's cool to hear that, that you actually are intentional about that. You want to, you want to breed hope. Yeah, I think, yeah, no, I, I love that for sure. I think I want to breed hope. I, when, when I perform live, especially again, and that's why the Zoom shows can be so tough because you don't get a lot of this in there yeah. is that to me, I view my comedy as hospitality. That's mm-hmm. what I really try to go for. So, like, I host a monthly show in LA uh, during, during before the pandemic, and um, you know, super fun show. Have bigger names on the show, and but I get to host it, right? And there's a decently big audience most months. But I, but the hosting is what I love the most because I get to set the vibe, and I get to, I get to, to in my mind, it's it's the task of making every person in that room feel like they were supposed to be there and wanted. Yeah. And I think that that's the truly deep kind of philosophical or even kind of mystical spiritual component of comedy is you feel like you're part of a community, but, but what community am I bringing them on the journey of? Hmm. Am I bringing them on a journey of hate? Because that's the easiest emotion to get a crowd on your side to say, we all hate them. Yeah. Or am I saying, Hey, let's look at all the crazy, wonderful things of the world or just like the weird, wacky things of the world and point out that let's personify a hot dog. Let's do these things together and bring you along. And I think it's a harder task. And I also think it's often a, a better one, but sometimes you can't build up until you tear down. So I'm also not afraid of tearing down if that's necessary. Yeah, I do try to give political or social commentary at times if it, if it feels appropriate for sure. I try to do, even in my wacky jokes, I try my general format that I've tried to curate is like, a silly premise, a silly punchline, but then a social punchline hmm. and try to like do all three of those. Like I have a joke where I, you know, I, in Southern California, it lands better because of In-N-Out, but you know, In-N-Out yeah. and like, so like their special sauce is essentially Thousand Island, you know, and that's pretty much what it is. It's Thousand Island with onions, but people are just like, oh, and so I have a joke where I'm like, I'm pretty sure when people say they like In-N-Out, what they really mean is they like Thousand Island dressing. 
And then I say, that's like saying, you know, you like toast when you really just like Nutella. So that's like my silly punchline, yeah. the silly premise. But then I like, then I say, or it's like saying, I like Bernie Sanders, but you really just like feeling morally superior. Uh, so it's like then more of like a social joke, right? And yeah. I'm not even anti-Bernie. I think he's got some great stuff. But but there's yeah. but just like there's a a level where it's like fun to like let that be the final stage in the progression of the wackiness of the joke. Yeah. And if you let society be the final escalation of the stupidity of your joke, I also think there's a fun meta narrative within that of saying that society is pretty wacky too. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's another thing we could add too, right? We talked about religion, but, but politics, that's, that's huge. That's probably the biggest one. Uh, the biggest, uh, these days. seriously. Yeah. 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 I, uh, yeah, that's true. It was interesting. I, I forgot who I was listening to, but they were talking about how Trump was initially really good for comedy and then kind of kind of messed with it because everyone was doing Trump jokes. And mm. it was like, yeah, it's kind of easy. We all kind of expect that. And then, like, what do we do? What do we come up with now? Because the president's usually gold. Like, that's usually who, who you go after, uh, the sitting president. I don't know if they did yeah. that. Trump Obama. jokes, for the most part, feel pretty hacky unless yeah. you've got a really unique uh premise on it right okay. so like yeah it felt like everybody was doing trump jokes and then there was a lull for a while because everybody was doing trump jokes mm -hmm. and then and then every now and then you have like a really really what feels like a sophisticated trump joke like the john mulaney horse in the hospital bit that mm. that was the first trump joke after like a two-year lull in my opinion when that came out in like what was that 2018 i think when that joke came out on on his last special and it was just everybody was like oh we can do trump jokes again yeah. but it's got to be clever it yeah. can't just be trump said something stupid because that's just the news yeah, yeah right right and so how are you going to make it clever that's where the joke is and that's where a lot of political comedy can feel lazy and i think to me that's where i love colbert over fallon or two is like colbert goes out of his way to be political but to be clever about it mm. and i feel like fallon avoids both for the most part <laughs> yeah right or now i feel like like the image that just is so crazy is like when trump was on Fallon during the election cycle in 2016, there's a just a great, stupid, funny photo now of Fallon literally petting Trump's hair. Yeah. And especially given the last couple of weeks, I don't know, it's just crazy to be like, man, we used to, that used to be our society. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and now we're here. Yeah, dude. Oh my goodness. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to, to finish up with uh, some ocean spray stuff. So yeah. anyone yeah. who knows you, they're gonna they i have to bring this up because they know who you are but can you uh can you explain what's up with you and ocean spray yeah i mean it's been a fun running joke for probably five or six years now i think six mm -hmm. years ago i started making fake kind of ads for ocean spray um it started because i do truly love their juice i literally got a couple boxes of their juice right now in my room and i do drink it most days and i have drink it most days since i was in fifth grade that wow. is all true mm -hmm. the, um the social media presence that i give definitely exaggerates it yeah. um into somewhat of an idol worship of the juice um <laughs> to me in a, in a funny comedic way um i do some stand-up that is cranberry juice centric i if i do a long set i like to end my set with a little poem slash song that i wrote talk about poetry not existing anymore yeah cranberry poetry <laughs> and 
a song called Why Cranberry Juice Inspires Me, and it's just stupid and mentions UTIs a lot. But then a couple years ago, I started like trying to like in my fake materials for them, essentially asked them to make me their commercial spokesperson. Yeah. And like progressive has flow. I want to be that for Ocean Spray. I've been saying that for years. Last fall in September, I made a video a rap music video super good comedic rap i'm i'm by no means a rapper but i think if i can be funny enough people don't care about that yeah and that's that's the goal at least and so super fun to make actually kind of got on their radar for a minute i mm-hmm. think we had interacted before but never officially it was always like hey thanks for making free marketing for us but then there was finally a meeting that i had with them about hey um do you like can i make something for you and get paid for it um, and I think they were finally warming up to that idea. But then the dog face video came dog out of face, him yeah. skateboarding. Literally, I, and I'm I'm working on making uh, a video of me explaining what happened as well as, um, and you, you, you'd be the first person I've told other than my friends that I'm also working on a follow-up uh, rap, but I, it's going to be more like a breakup song. Like, it's still a joke, but more in that vibe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, trying to like just ride this out i keep asking myself am i burning bridges and then i'm like i don't think i have any bridges to burn (laughs) if anything i'm just like announcing to the world that there's no more bridges yeah and so uh but i the the ocean spray dog face stuff started happening uh with the the fleetwood max song and all that and uh the week that i had the marketing meeting with them to talk about making Dude. content for their channels because to me i don't want to be an influencer i mean to me there's a big difference there i don't really want to be an influencer which to me means ocean spray putting content on my channels right. i want to be a creative producer putting my content on their channels yeah right to me that's that's a difference there because i don't think totally. i have enough followers to be an influencer but i do think i have creativity that i can sell yeah and that's how i've been trying to approach it um and so, yeah, uh, you know, it, it gets messy because so the night of the marketing meeting was when they gave him a truck and they right. put it everywhere on social media. And then that night I was inundated with texts, like just 40 to 50 people probably were like, did you see they gave him a truck? Yeah. And I, and I responded to everybody and I said, yes, I saw that they gave him a truck. I'm a little bummed for sure. But, and I, so then I went onto Instagram and just on an Instagram story, to preempt all the texts and messages I was getting. I said, mm-hmm. hey, guys, yeah, I saw they gave him a truck. And yeah, it's a bit of a bummer that they've never given me a truck, but I am happy for them. And I went out of my way to really try to tell my followers that I was happy for them because he's clearly moving a lot of product for them. Like yeah. it was, There were pictures from around the country of ocean spray shelves and grocery stores empty hmm. because people were trying to recreate the video. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, I am happy for them. And that's why they gave him a truck. There's no argument there. But I put on my video just like, yeah, like I drive a 2007 Pontiac Vibe with 200,000 miles. Would Could I use a new car? Absolutely. Right. So I was just making kind of self-deprecating jokes, in my opinion. Right. They didn't like that. <laughs> and I now look back and feel like they probably were just looking for an excuse to end the conversations with me because Dogface sure. took off with them. But there, but at least what they told me was they told me that my Instagram stories, which I didn't even know they were watching, were too negative, and they didn't want to work with me anymore. And I was just really surprised because I'm like, I go out of my way to not be negative, as we literally just discussed right. in the last thirty minutes. <laughs> right. It's like I try to be the comedian who actually gives hope, and yet they saw me as this negative voice, and 
again, I think that was an excuse. I think it's how I've processed it since then. That day was rough because I was like, man, I felt this close. I was like, man, this would be, you know, a, such a fun conclusion to this weird, wacky journey I've been on. Mm-hmm. And then uh, feeling like, oh, had I done something to screw that up was really tough on me for a minute. And then finally just kind of had to process it, go on a long bike ride and say, you know what? They misunderstood me. They were probably looking for a reason to cut me. Yeah. No reason to be legitimately hurt. But at the same time, now there is a new freedom to that where now I'm going to make a breakup song because I no longer feel like there's a chance for me to get paid by them. So I'm just going to kind of say screw it and make a stupid song. And uh, if they get upset about it and I'm too negative, what's the worst that could happen? Right, right. Man, it's it's so weird what people like. Like, um, I mean, you put out creative content. I forgot about Ocean Spray until uh, we became Facebook friends all those years back. <laughs> and now it's like, I don't think of any other cranberry juice because of you. But I didn't even think about it. Thank uh, you. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. You make like you, uh, your Instagram, you, you have like really professional looking shots of like ocean spray, uh, like on the beach or wherever you're hiking or whatever. And, uh, it's hilarious. And it is actually like kind of advertisement, which is weird because I'm like, oh, do I want ocean spray now? Dang it. I just, I just want to have the funny stuff. I don't want him to actually be in my mind. But then some dude like like Dogface, uh, and for those who don't know, he made he, you gotta know everyone knows this. He made a TikTok video where he's skateboarding and he kind of like looks up. He's like all sleepy looking and he like looks up at the camera and then he keeps skateboarding. And everyone was just in indoors, stuck in the pandemic or whatever. And for some reason, it just caught on. And it's like I don't get that. that crazy. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I remember when that first the day it came out, I had a lot of people send it to me on TikTok, and I was like, no way crazy and then for two more weeks it kept blowing up and and getting put onto different platforms and now it's blowing up on instagram and now it's blowing up on facebook and it just kept expanding and i was like man he he does have a vibe i mean he's a fun he's a fun guy you can just tell he's he's living life and cashing happy checks and that's super fun right and that is fun to just watch that but it's also like man he wasn't trying. The, the yeah. main punchline to me that I've thought of when trying to figure out how to do this is like, man, he beat me at a game that literally only I was playing. <laughs> like he wasn't even trying to play the game. And he right, beat me. dude. Right. It's crazy. So for me, I have the, my own frustration is my frog video, which has like yeah, 37 million. And it's like, dude, I wasn't trying. I don't even know why I put it up. I just was like, I have these frogs. It's a, it's a hobby or whatever. Make a quick little video of them. I, I, I got bad uh, comments. People were like, I'm going to put you in there. I'm going to kill you, blah, blah. So I turned off the things, went to Puerto Rico for a year, came back, million views. Now it's got 37 million, million views. And I'm trying to like Dang capitalize. Man. It's nuts. And I get paid from that from like a third third party source, not nearly as much as if I just went with YouTube. But I'm like, now I'm working so hard. I read people's people send me their books. I read the whole book and then I have them on to the podcast and we talk. It's like hours yeah, and yeah. hours of work, hundred beers. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. great. This is cool. The internet's so weird. I don't know. What people you don't like it when you care, but then, but they also do. And it, it's a weird tug and pull there or a tug, tug and push because it's just like, yeah, you, you have to care. Mm-hmm. We get penalized for caring. If it, if it's obvious we care. Yeah. And that's why I'm trying to build a brand about caring, not in like a real kid way of like, oh, we care for each other, but just like right. being earnest. Like if you have something you like or desire, I think it's beautiful to go after it. I mm-hmm. think, you know, I'm the type of friend, hopefully, that if a friend tells me they want to do something, 
I'm going to take that to mean that we're going to work together for you to do that thing. Like that's, that's the type of person I want to be. So I'm going to try to help other people be that. And then yet there is always this like weird punk rock aspect. And I love punk rock. So I'm not even anti this and I get why it's appealing, but it's also like, yeah, for us to talk about it, feels a little like we're trying too hard yeah, you know and it's like right, whoa right, where did right. that come from right. because everybody wants things yeah and th- that annoys me i mean i think that that aspect of la and the stand-up scene in la is really big and I, that's something that one of the reasons why i really love the improv scene is because they don't have that but even within stand-up if you tell people hey i want to be a talk show host right that's my end goal biggest dream ever is replace yeah. Colbert when he retires. That's what I'm, that's the, the most exact goal I can give myself. For sure. And for me to tell other standups that they often, you can tell they are like, Oh, well one day you'll learn Yeah. that that's stupid. Yeah. And they view me as naive for having a goal. And I hate that. Yeah. And I, I never want to be that type of person to someone else. Do I, I do want to be realistic and yeah. I'm, glad when people give me realistic feedback and constructive feedback but to completely tell me well one day you won't be so naive i never want to be that yeah you know? yeah yeah i appreciate that man that's good i yeah there's some of that in in every community or at least all, everyone i'm in where yeah it's like dude i, I want to have a goal i want to work towards something i'm not saying it's it's all or nothing i'm not gonna you know, yeah, destroy my sure. life over this, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go towards a goal or I don't feel like I'm, I'm making any progress anyways. Uh, dude. So, so I wanted to finish up with, with hearing uh, from you where we can find you, but I just wanted to tell you my favorite thing I think you've ever put out. And I hope this is encouraging and not like, dang, I work so hard on other stuff. There's this, <laughs> there's this Instagram video you put out when TikTok first came out and uh, you're in, you're at like a art Institute or you're in some somewhere with a bunch of paintings and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. you're like pretending to be a kid and you're like, mom, I don't, I don't get art. Like, why do I have to be here? What is art anyways? Like, why can't I just go back on TikTok and just whatever the way you said it, I watched it like 400 times. It was no so, way. so funny. And I, I went back cause you know, Instagram, I had to go find it again. So I went back to think, I'm like, I just need to hear that again. And then at the end of the video, the kid who you're playing is like, well, what is this like a boat? Like it doesn't know where it's going. Well, like, I'm, I'm kind of on a journey myself. And then he's like crying and he gets art at the end. Dude, I'm so psyched. You love that. No, that that's at the Getty in LA, which is like the big art museum okay. on the hill in LA that, um, but it's just, that was a fun video to make. Cause I was there and that, I was that kid, honestly. Right. Like I didn't, I was the kid when I was in middle school, I was like playing Pokemon when we went to right. museums or whatever, you know? Yeah. And so that is sort of my journey, but also I love that you love that. That's so, so funny, good. man. I'm gonna watch it again later today. Actually, maybe I'll, Dude, I'll that's, leave another comment. That, that makes me psyched because that was just like I was at my sister had visited LA and we went to that museum and I was like, hey, you want to make something with me? And so, <laughs> so she was the one filming that. But that was so fun. That's awesome. Well, so so I'm gonna go find that on your Instagram again. But where where can people find you? Like all, give me all your plugs so people can can find your stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, my plugs are hopefully fairly easy, but it's all the same. So it's um, every social media is at cast the bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, so my last name is cast the bomb. So just a pun on that. So it's instead of a bomb in the German way, it's T-H-E-B-O-M-B. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I'm at cast the bomb on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. Um, and then my Patreon, there's links to that in all of those bios. Okay. Um, and then 
what would be the last one. And then Facebook, I, I think I'm past them on Facebook too. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, I mean, between Instagram and Facebook, I cross post. So there's nothing unique there, but the other platforms have unique stuff. Yeah. So um, will, you, will you have you have your stand up on YouTube? Some of it? I have some. I have clips. I don't have like a full special or anything, um, uh-huh. but I have clips on... Uh, actually, I don't have them on YouTube. I've got clips um, just because the real good clips, for the most part, were... You know, I, mean, I, I was sending out to festivals and submissions and stuff. Yeah. And I guess I could put clips. I think, you know, because of the pandemic, I am trying to figure out how to create essentially the opportunity to retire old jokes that I haven't performed now for like 10 months anyway. But also, yeah. like, when I get back into it, I don't really want to do old jokes again. Sure. So um, I, I have some stuff uh, on YouTube for sure and Vimeo. Uh, because some festivals only take Vimeo submissions for some reason. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I should probably put more on YouTube now I think about it just because I'm probably not going to do those jokes anymore anyway. Because yeah. for so long you have this idea of, I'll wait to put this out when it's like a special. Yeah. But now they've, it's like, I don't know. What's, yeah. what, what's the difference between a special and like a 20-minute clip from a show I did in San Diego? What's right. the difference? Well, and now with my huge, huge subscribers uh, who actually do, <laughs> I, like they're all going to be just inundating you, man. It's going to be great. Dude, I can't wait for the the the, the Parker Pensy's uh, peak or what, yeah. what were you? Yeah, yeah. That's what we'll call it. That'd be great. Well, dude, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on, man. This has been really fun. I'd love to do it again. I'd love to have you on, talk more comedians, talk your stuff, your influencers, um, hear some more of your stuff. That'd be awesome. Dude, I'd love that. This was a blast. You're you're crushing it. And it's super fun to see you do this. And just a quick nostalgia to like our blog buddies. Remember? remember Yeah, blog buddies, man. That was, I think, how I met you, right? Yeah. Um, For the first time. And so, you know, that's yeah, yeah, at River City Roasters and and uh, and Wheaton, Illinois, we'd meet with a couple other friends and like write and talk about what we're writing. And yeah. you'd be writing like theology, philosophy stuff, and Tony'd be writing book reviews, and I'd be writing jokes. So yeah, we were good days. Yeah, Chris was doing uh, whatever, man. Like oh, Star, yeah, Star Wars, Wars stuff, right? I actually yeah, just yeah. had him on, so I he'll, you'll probably oh, air you right after. Yeah, man. So we're talking about the Sith, and then uh, we end up getting the Old Testament because he can't help but but talk about the Old Testament, which is good. Sure. It's, it's a really no, dark episode, it. so yeah. He's who I, I still text him all the time when I need clarification on something Star Wars. I'm just like, yeah, hey, man, this is my understanding. What's your understanding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that, man. It's so good. All right. Well, I'll put uh, I'll put all the the good links uh, in the description here. So if you guys are listening. Go check the links. You can find them. I'll help you out there. Uh, Dude, Jared, this has been awesome. Can't wait to do it again with you. Yeah, love you a lot, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, I love you too, bro. Okay, this has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.